Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica Kumar. In 2006, I first came to India for work and basically never looked back. My journey took me through learning Hindi, living in multiple parts of India, and after a few years, I met The Invisible India podcast isn't just a place where I share about being married to an Indian, being a foreigner in India, the language learning process, and cross-cultural parenting. But it is a platform to highlight the lesser-known aspects of Indian culture by featuring stereotype-breaking Indians making waves in society. So let's go. Headphone lagake suniye hamare saath. Namaste sab log. Happy holidays. I am so thrilled to reach the end of 2021. <laughs> We're going to reflect on the best of 2021 with my top guests and share the highlights of the show from 2021 in short 2 to 4 minute blurbs on this show. My goal was to feature only South Asian origin guests and really boost the voices of Desi stereotype breakers. We did that and I am thrilled at how it's going. You know, I only release every 2 weeks and we hit our goal of 21 episodes this year. A few milestones we hit. The show launched me to get to speak at Podcast Movement, Burning Man, the Lingua Cultura Experience, and Polyglot Conference. We also hit a couple of huge milestones. Top on Apple Podcasts, we hit top 10 in relationships in Austria, Norway, and Switzerland. Top 50 in relationships in China, Finland, France, Ireland, Singapore, and Taiwan. Top 100 in relationships in Australia, the US, Canada, Belarus, France, China, Hong Kong, Denmark, Germany, Great Britain, Japan, and the UAE. And top 100 in society and culture in Canada, Hong Kong, India, and New Zealand. But more than that, honestly, working on this show really kept me going in a very dark time of lockdown where there was a lot of suffering, death this summer happening around us. It gave me a sense of purpose and a way to connect with the outside world and with many of you, and I am really really grateful for that. But before we get to the show, I want to share about a few inspiring businesses that despite the difficulties this year persevered and you can support their amazing efforts. ziada.org is a handicrafts and mostly they work in textiles company that is located in Bihar. I know them personally. I see them in action all the time. They have this beautiful holiday line of everything from aprons to table settings, very beautiful stuff. You can see I've shared several of their pictures on my Instagram and in my newsletter. And you can still there's still time. You could there's still time to get them before Christmas. So go ahead and use the code invisibleindia10 to get a 10% discount off of your purchase. It's made in India, but right now they are shipping to the US. If you want to get some of their stuff in India, you can write to them and I'm sure they would ship it to you in country as well. But if you're in the US, you can definitely look them up, use the discount, get these beautiful handmade gifts. Another ethical business I want to share with you about is India Art. They have mostly wooden products where that are made by local artisans in North India and i've shared their video on my instagram it's like they have this beautiful journey from the piece of the, the block of wood literally being cut by hand to being ground down and sawed varnished painted and made into these this adorable sloth ornament this is something that you really can't find anywhere else 
They also have other gorgeous items, including like this really nice candle holder that I just got. All of their employees are people who are definitely at risk economically and uh, people who have, have employable skills. India Art employs these folks and um, allows them to show off their craft in an amazing way. So go ahead and look at the gorgeous sloth ornament, candle holders, and other products that I've posted about on my Instagram. I also have a link to both of these businesses on my offers page, invisibleindiapodcast.com slash offers. And you can see the Amazon link for India Art and the link directly on the ziada.org site. That's Z-I-Y-A-D-A.org with the Invisible India 10 discount link. Okay, let's get on with the show. As I mentioned, 2021 was a whole year of South Asian guests. And I have two to four minute blurbs from eight of our best episodes. Episode 48, the Carolina Desis, Rashmili and Gurdej. We talked about language and how Indian languages form and shape our identity, especially those who are growing up outside of the motherland, how being connected or disconnected with their language impacted their cultural journeys and the way that they are growing up and how they see themselves as Indian Americans. Have a listen. The melting pot actually really means, you know, everyone needs to whitewash themselves at least a little bit in order to fit in. And then, but white Americans don't really, we don't really want to adopt like your culture you know, we just yeah. want you to become more like us. And that's what we really mean by the melting pot. In theory, it sounds lovely. In theory, this idea of a little bit of everything, bring it to the bottom. And listen, there are places in America that are like that. Queen, I say this, Queens, New York is probably the most diverse place on earth, um, period. Uh, and that's one of the most beautiful things about it. But um, in practice, in the rest of the country, uh, you do see kind of a majority a majority pressure on the minorities to conform. Um, and that's something that, I mean, like Rashmi and I've talked about that in many episodes, those, those running themes of that conformity. Yeah, I was raised in Columbia, South Carolina, not a huge Indian population. Um, there's actually a lot of Telugu people in Texas. And if I were around more South Asians, not just Telugu people, if I was around more South Asians, if I lived in New York, New Jersey, or somewhere, or even in Texas for that matter, I probably, it probably would have instilled an interest in continuing learning about my heritage way sooner. Um, it felt very superficial when I was younger because yes, I was dancing. Yes, I did music for a little bit. Um, yes, I go watch a Telugu movie with my family here and there, but um, it really did feel superficial. It felt I was forced into it, either my, my parents' expectations or this um, inherent obligation to stay true to my culture or whatever it was, a little bit of both, I'd say. Um, but if, if I was around people who looked like me a little bit more, I probably would be more interested in um, uh, learning more about my culture. From what I'm hearing from both your stories and from other people I've talked to, it's not, it's not just an automatic thing that, uh, because you know, your, your parents uh, or grandparents migrated from somewhere else, that you're automatically just going to be able to retain that. It really takes a resistance. And I, I, I think we forget that. It's like, 
um, the, the, the resistance that you have to practice to be able to retain even the smallest things is, is actually epically huge. Episode 50 with Kunal Dutt had to be one of the episodes where I learned the most. Kunal is a journalist and an activist. He runs the campaign Save Historic Patna Collectorate on Instagram and elsewhere. I really did not know nearly enough about the history of Bihar and about Patna. Uh, Kunal is just an incredible historian and I learned so much. He could definitely go for hours educating me on the history of Bihar. So I hope you'll have a short listen on this incredible campaign that he's uh, trying to save some of the historic buildings in Patna. So please follow him and uh, be a part of that campaign as well. Episode 50. There's a lot of negative perception about Bihar, Mm -hmm. about Biharis. Mm -hmm. We need to do a whole separate conversation about that. Absolutely. About why this is the wrong kind of thinking. There are Mm -hmm. so many people from Bihar who are doing incredible things. And uh, the media and others like to fit Biharis into this little stereotype. Boxes, yeah. Yeah. Going on with the buildings, mm-hmm. the history, why do you think it is that people are so easily just wanting to give up these historic sites, whereas mm-hmm. in other cities, yes. people are working very hard to preserve this and turning it into like a, a tourist attraction? Uh, attraction. Yeah. Why are we not doing that yeah. in Bihar? In so uh, this was, this is also one of the aims of our campaign to create or foster a sense of ownership. Hmm. What we found, the problem was with the Bihar psyche was, was that we're so inured to it that even the, the act of demolition doesn't affect us. Hmm. So in 2019 or 2018, we lost two very iconic landmarks, the Anjuman Islamia Hall, which was I think the tallest hall uh, in in Patna, built in 1885. And then in 2019, we lost Bihar or Patna's first planned municipal market, the gold market. I I did not see people complaining. I I didn't see people reacting in a way as one would would do if if it hurts your sentiments, if it hurts your pride. Why wouldn't your pride be hurt if a part of your history or heritage is being bulldozed down? We have become so inured by our immediate realities that we think, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know, we are growing, we are developing. Haan, develop ho that's, that's the kind of yes. euphemism being used yeah. to justify demolition. So we wanted to inculcate that, that sense of pride. And also, we wanted to make people react. We wanted yeah. to make people feel hurt when, when something of that happens. Right. Because when you feel hurt, you you take the corrective measure. Sure. If you're in your two realities, nothing will happen. Episode 53 with Rashmi Chadha is really all about positivity. She's a female entrepreneur, business coach, and owner of Voyage, which is a women's travel company. She has a very inspiring story. And as I've gotten to know her, I've realized that she has really overcome a lot. There is a lot behind that gorgeous smile of hers. Have a listen and be inspired. If you could give advice to anyone that was in your position, maybe a younger woman who feels she wants to do something different than what society expects. And this could be in India, this could be outside. Let's just talk in India, mostly. Like, if there's somebody that feels that they 
want to do something that's different, that's maybe outside what society expects. Like, what advice would you give to them? It's about your intuition, about yourself and your idea. Anyone can fail. Men can fail too, women can fail too. So it's it's not again about gender. If you feel you have an idea, please go ahead. I, I also always say, you know, why ideas fail? Because they don't do much research or they have only vision to make money. I'm, I'm telling you, if you have only vision to make money, not saying don't make money. Of course, making money is very important, you know, but only uh, financial thing is up top of it yeah. you will never get satisfied so go on your idea work on your vision do your research even if you no know, you fail you will feel very very uh, you know satisfied that you are tried your idea and you will get experiences hmm. and you succeed then anyways everyone will be celebrating it but one another point is there when you fail you'll be the only one when you're celebrating there will be few add-ons everyone will be around you and around you so think you know uh, uh, people who will be around you always even in your failures even in your celebrations Episode 55 with Vishali Patel was something that definitely made me more interested to make more Hindi content. Vishali is the creator of Sanskar Teaching where she founded a learning program for people all over the world to learn Gujarati and Hindi. She also offers a really amazing discount to people who want to learn Gujarati, Hindi, and a number of other Indian languages. So make sure to listen to that episode, learn more about how she got into making this program, how she's helping people across the world learn more about Indian languages. I was. I was born and raised in India until I was 16. And then I moved to the States. 16 is probably not the best time to move anywhere, but at a country in a different culture. I mean, it was a big cultural shock for me. And I moved to a, a predominantly Caucasian area in Anaheim, California. And I wanted to have nothing to do with my Indian culture because I, I, I think part of it was I just didn't like being different. You know, I don't think people were mean. They were very embracing of, you know, but it's just those looks you get. And, you know, at 16, you don't know any better. You're just... A teen. So it was, you know, for a long period of time, I stayed away from anything to do with Desi culture, Desi language, food, anything. I went to USC, moved on, got married. And then when I had my kids, I realized that I wanted them to learn to speak the language at least. So I would drive two hours because I live in San Diego and our temples in LA. So two hours each way on Saturdays mm. just so they could learn the language yeah. and be around other children who were Gujarati. And if any of you out there are moms, you know how crazy yes. that would be, two hours in a car ride one way with your kids, you know. And it was getting stressful. And actually, my son was around 10, 11 by then, and he started saying, Mom, why don't we just learn from home? Why do we have to drive all the way there? And in that time, I discovered Google Hangouts, So I said, all right, let's just do it at home. And then I started my sister's kids and I was doing it as service for a long period of time. And then when the kids were in high school, they're like, mom, this is really good and you're good at this. Let's, let's just turn it into something bigger. So it was actually my family who pushed me to create Sanskar teaching. And of course, you know, being from 
a traditional Desi family, there was this idea that first I didn't have any qualification, meaning I don't have any degrees and, you know, I don't have education degrees or a background. <laughs> sure. I got my bachelor's from Desi um, in biology because I was pre-med like most Indian kids are. Episode 56 with Anita Sakaraya, the founder of Bhasha Kids. She and I talk about heritage language and teaching kids Indian languages. We were on a panel as a part of the Lingua Cultura experience. Listen in. Let's see. So one of the questions that was also set up was, have you attempted to help your kids learn the target language? And what results did that produce? I can go ahead and answer that one. Um, <laughs> you know, being that my kids are mixed, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a white Caucasian lady and my husband is Bihari Indian. Uh, I think some people expect that my husband is the one that taught me and that he's the one that's teaching the kids. <laughs> so, um, I have actually done quite a bit in helping the kids learn the target language. And my husband, he, he basically just speaks with the kids. We have not adopted the one parent, one language policy just because it didn't really make sense for us in our, in our circumstances. Uh, we decided that we were going to speak as much Hindi at, as possible at home. Um, but one thing that's been mentioned on other talks here in the Lingua Cultura conference is that do what's natural to you. And so it doesn't necessarily come natural to us to for Abhishek just to speak in Hindi and then for myself just to speak in English. I think we've kind of had the view of our kids need to understand within the context how they need to use the language and in what circumstances it's best to use Hindi and what circumstances it's best to use English. So we've really tried to adopt uh, whenever you can use Hindi, use Hindi. And so that typically will come to anytime we're out in the market, anytime we're out speaking with others. Uh, anyone that doesn't understand English, obviously we need to use Hindi. And even people who do understand English, sometimes it's appropriate to use Hindi, which is always the struggle for us, is getting them to speak Hindi to people, even who do speak English. So um, we often find ourselves using Hindi when it comes to food. And when it comes to family, I think uh, in small commands like apnhalo, ap jaake sojao, hum log padhenge, abhi padhai ka samay hai, like small things that are just little commands. But then when it comes to our emotions, we tend to use more English. And that's worked really well for us. The kids have really picked up on those little commands on certain topics when it comes to food. I don't know if my daughter even knows the word for certain foods in English. <laughs> so um, I think we often use Hindi when it comes to food. How about you, Anita? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the number one thing that uh, people use to pass on, and it's not even conscious, right? It's an unconscious. You pass culture and language through food first, and then um, uh -huh. same thing with family relations, right? We don't say grandma and grandpa. Uh, we say pati and tata for Tamil and amachi apachin mm. for Malayalam. So same thing. They don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't use certain words. And I've noticed, and, and this is us where 
it's the minority language for us in terms of where we live. And so I've struggled with getting my kids to say amma and appa, which is how we prefer to be called with their peers without being embarrassed. Uh, you know, they want to just automatically go to mommy and daddy, which it's a wonderful learning point. If you can be patient with your kids, that's a little a lovely point to teach them about what is multiculturalism? What does it mean to be multilingual? Why you don't need to be embarrassed about speaking uh, your language or using certain words because it's an opportunity to teach other kids. Um, and so when my daughter heard uh, once her Korean friend in daycare, he called his mom, Amma, and she couldn't believe it. And I'm like, it's very common in Asia. Uh, so yeah, we have definitely uh, tried, and I'd say it's been more fits and starts um, because we've just decided to be a multilingual household, and Tamil is probably the one that we will be more successful in just based on um, those are, we're much closer to my husband's family, and my parents have since passed away, and me not this is why I'm trying to make this effort to relearn my heritage language is because I realize, wow, they are not going to learn it at all. Uh, so it's the same tactic that you had mentioned uh, earlier that we had heard in another room, which was do what is natural. Um, if you are multilingual, it's not natural to speak only one language uh, all the time. So they are constantly exposed, but we're getting them to try to respond to us in Tamil Although I will say one of my tactics was they were watching a lot of Chota Beam on Netflix in Hindi. So they quickly, <laughs> they, they were running around the house saying, bachao, bachao. <laughs> I was like, that's good. That's okay. So one of the things that I was just going to say, one of the things that I did um, in my efforts was, you know, I did the search just like any other good parent does, looking for classes, looking for online resources, um, and then starting to recognize as my son moved from a toddler into elementary school that he had some real learning challenges and that a regular language school would not be inclusive of someone who learns the way that he does. And so I was like, this is on me. And that doesn't mean that he can't pick up stuff. So I kind of made it my personal mission to develop materials that to meet him where he is. And then I realized a lot of parents could probably use stuff like this. Anita also offers a number of discounts to listeners of the Invisible India podcast on her language learning products for kids. So be sure to check the show notes as I have a number of discounts. Episode 57 and 58. If you are ready to geek out on economics and sociology, listen to the conversations with Tripti Lahiri and myself. She's the author of Made in India, a very provocative and very challenging work about classism, about the ways that uh, the informal labor market works in India. If you've ever wondered about why things are the way they are with domestic help, why half of the people seem to have a maid, listen to this and it will really be a very enlightening conversation. The walls of Delhi aren't all created equal. They too can serve as markers of class and status. The walls in older neighborhoods, where families still occupy the homes their parents built, when the world outside the home seemed less threatening and families did not mind if passing street vendors could look over the walls into their homes. 
Although with the wisdom of hindsight, one has to ask, was it truly a gentler time? Or was it just a gentler time for those at the top of the food chain when a million mutinies had not yet begun to erupt, forcing the haves to build higher walls? Those of us who are really um, in kind of more of a privileged situation, is it part of our responsibility to pay a fair wage to to continue to see development occur in uh, the working class and in domestic labor? And do you think that kind of the suppression of continuing to keep low wages of domestic labor is is really like keeping one third of India below the poverty line. So, yeah, I think, you know, there are low wages across the board, across professions, um, you know, whether from white collar to, to domestic work. And I think conversely, when wages do rise, which uh, I think in domestic work, they have risen, um, at least, you know, for more experienced workers, that is a, a path to upward mobility. I did meet a lot of people where I could see that the fact that their mothers or, or maybe in some cases, grandmothers had done this work, uh, maybe had done it at really pitiful wages, had actually had paid the way for the next generation to to uh, improve. That didn't actually work all by itself. Like it was very necessary sometimes for employers to be quite actively involved, like to help navigate systems, you know, maybe to help get into schools or to help with tuition. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there is an onus to to think about, you know, so often in interviewing in interviewing for this book where I really leaned heavily on family and friends, you know, I, I would hear this debate come up of like, you know, we, we shouldn't spoil the market rate. We shouldn't um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we shouldn't spoil the market rate. We sh- you know, that's wrong. There's a market rate and we should stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there are so many other ways in India where we don't stick to the market rate or where, you know, you graduate from a top tech university, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're getting just a, a crazy enormous salary. Is that really the market rate? So I, I sort of feel like, you know, the market rate is not a abstract thing that just comes into being by itself. It's like we all set the market and create the market rate. If, you know, if enough people think, okay, like as a factor of what I earn, I can probably pay more, even though I know that so-and-so would accept less and or, or uh, it's possible to pay less, then you shift the market rate. I do think uh, we can have those discussions and thoughts, and a lot of people do, actually. And I think, you know, when I when I interview people, I kind of realize, you know, that I or my family, you know, we weren't necessarily, like, uh, pushing the envelope. I met so many people where I realized uh, what they were doing was probably a lot more than what I had thought about to do, whether in terms of wages or in terms of other kinds of help, like getting a documentation or something like this. Or, you know, particularly there were employers who'd helped their um, uh, their worker through some kind of legal issue, which which is very challenging. You know, like people would think very carefully before doing that because the legal system is difficult. Uh, but they were doing it because they really did mm-hmm. feel that was their obligation you know, having benefited in other ways from from the Indian government or education or so uh, other mm-hmm. things. That patron client relationship almost where the Yeah. If I'm if I work for you, there's an expectation that you will in a sense take care of me. If there's some tragedy or some uh you know, you might not pay me a lot on a monthly basis just for no reason, give me extra money for this, that and the other thing, but there may be there should be other benefits or light of insurance in having a relationship with a a powerful, you know, patron or, or boss. Episode 62 with Gavin Wilson, the CEO of Chai and TikTok storyteller. 
Kevin and I get into conversation about being a third culture kid, being a South Asian person who's grown up in multiple parts of the world really has impacted him and his story. We also talk about aspects of faith, connecting something as simple as chai to a way of telling story about immigration, migration, culture, and identity. For me, home is not in places, but home is in people. And I think I'm sure you can relate to that uh, in, in, in some ways as well. Yeah, and I've never felt like a location was home for me. Hmm. I never felt like that. I can't think of a time. Even Sri Lanka, I mean, uh, even though I was born there, a home in Sri Lanka is, again, determined by the people there. If my party, which my grandmother, wasn't there, if my, my city, that's my aunt, um, is wasn't there, if my thumbies, my brothers, weren't, weren't there, won't be home anymore. But if they are here, now it's home. So home is in people, not in places. For most of my life, I felt that my story was a liability and not an asset. Because I found myself like explaining myself or explaining who I am mm-hmm. to people. And that mm-hmm. was exhausting. Sure. Um, whenever people ask me where I'm from, you know, that's a loaded question for me. Like, how, <laughs> yes, how do you exactly. give, how do you give an answer? How do you give it? Like when people ask you where are you from, like, how would you give an answer? For me, and I'm sure different people respond to it differently. But for me, I always have to give a story. Like you just have to tell them, hey, I was born here. I was living there. This happens, this, that. In the last few years, I've also kind of realized that, come to understand that like maybe not everybody deserves that story. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, not everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And so I've had to kind of learn how to read people. And and because the story is sacred. Yeah. That's, that's holy ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, that's one of the things that I really believe in. It's just been a process where I'm trying, still trying to find out like where I fit mm-hmm. into spaces, but but now I'm kind of at this space stage in my life where I'm really owning the fact that uh, that I'm not going to fit anywhere mm-hmm. perfectly. Kind of I'm in this stage where I'm like, you know what, just let's own that, let's own that. So so there are different spheres of my life. You know, you have mm-hmm. the Sri Lankan sphere, then you got the the Christian sphere, then you got the third culture kid sphere, there's the uh, Tamil sphere. So there's different mm-hmm. spheres, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it in terms of like, I'm yes. just trying to give a visual here. I used to think that like I fit into one of these things more than these other places. But now I'm realizing, no, if there's a place where I find myself mm-hmm. kind of quote unquote home, mm-hmm. it's in between those spaces. Mm-hmm. It's in the gaps between those spaces where I feel like I mm-hmm. I, I, I thrive. Uh, I feel like now I can own that space. Episode 64 and 65, I interviewed Jaisal Parikh, the co-founder of the Yoga is Dead podcast. We get into some very interesting territory. We talk about elements of cultural appropriation, digestion of Indian culture in the West, globalization, and who killed yoga. <laughs> this is very fascinating topics that we discussed. Be ready to be challenged by some new ways of thinking. Some people I've also heard say globalization is just the evolution of yoga. And uh, you guys talk a lot about the digestion and appropriation of yoga. And like you were saying, some people, oh, this is just the globalization of yoga. This is just how it's, yeah. it's reaching the masses. It's becoming something that everyone, that's accessible to everyone. You don't need to know Sanskrit. You don't need to know this, that, or the other thing. Uh, so what would you say would be the difference between appropriation and evolution? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll talk about appropriation versus appreciation sure. in a moment, but I think when you hear this idea that globalization is like the inevitable and it's like maybe that is the case, but the the method through which that has happened because of our history mm-hmm. is through colonization, right? Like if we lived in a global world where colonization never happened on a global scale, um, it would be a very mm-hmm. different situation than what we see today, which is that, you know, European countries have historically colonized country, other countries around the globe. And so now everybody seeks to meet the standard of what it means to be European or white, right? And by definition americans we also like in white americans also benefit from that because there is a history there's a legacy mm-hmm. there's a tie there and so and you know neocolonialism is happening through the lens of the us now um mm-hmm. colonizing in one way or another other countries and cultures and so when we see that everything is met to the standard of whiteness mm-hmm. that's very different than like countries melding their cultures of their own accord and borrowing from each other in a way that they're mm-hmm. they're free from power dynamics which isn't the case like if i walked on the street wearing a corta i i see you wearing your lovely corta right and i'm like that's so, so comfortable <laughs> and beautiful and like you know you probably even understand like there's there's like levels yes. of like cloth, you know that cloth in India is something very special. Like, you know, the certain regions are known for their cloth, Mm -hmm. that they're like handcrafted, like all of these things, you have a respect for that because of where you live, right? And if I were to wear a corta down, wearing, walking down the street, even if it was Mm -hmm. like special, Mm -hmm. like I come from Gujarat, so Bandani, right? It's like big in Gujarat. I would be told to go back to my home country, even though I was born here, right? And I would be experiencing racism. That's how it is. So that's not the same as, uh, globalization where like everyone can wear that Mm -hmm. and everyone can be treated equally. Right. And so I just think Mm -hmm. that like, that's a statement that comes out of ignorance. And I can understand Mm -hmm. like, if you're not acquainted with history and how these power Mm -hmm. dynamics have played out systemically over time, that that can be a misconception that can form. I think sometimes people use these kind of statements of globalization or even, you know, I don't want to get into all this, but like all lives matter is, well, yeah, that's the way it should be, right? We have these ideas of, well, yeah, anyone can wear whatever they want and it shouldn't matter. Well, sure, that's the way it should be, but that's an ideal you hold, but that's, and maybe that is real for you, but that's not real for everyone. So that's your reality, but you have to realize there are other realities occurring. (laughs) Right. I can't go to a job interview wearing in my Indian clothing. I cannot. If I did, I mean, I could technically, right? Free country. I can do what I want. But the likelihood of me getting that job is going to be a lot lower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. And if a if a person who experiences white privilege does the same thing, your culture potentially, <laughs> right? You could pot- potentially like maybe in a financial setting that wouldn't be seen as sure professional. But by the way, why shouldn't it be seen as professional? Women in India wear cortas to work, right? That's mm-hmm. just the norm. Okay, yes. one thing. But if you are experiencing white privilege in certain situations, you're going to be seen as cultured, like you said, or mm-hmm. um, exotic, or well traveled, or interesting, right? Right. Whereas I will be seen mostly as not assimilating. Sure. Fresh off the boat. Too fresh off the boat, too Mm -hmm. ethnic, Mm -hmm. not wanting to compromise, not wanting to fit in. Right. So like there's a difference there in how people are treated based on their Mm -hmm. use of um, cultural artifacts. 
Overall, this has been just an incredible year. And I want to talk a little bit about what's next for 2022. From the feedback I have gotten from listeners, I really want to focus in 2022 on the Hindi language. So expect to see more from me about linguistics. I plan to bring more reviews of language learning products, and I would like to connect with more language innovators on the show. And I'm also looking for more sponsors of the show. Hopefully, we're going to see more tourism opening back up in India. I'm hoping to help to facilitate that kind of movement. We can get back, getting more people back visiting India. I'm also looking for new guests on the show. So if you have a suggestion of someone that should be on the show who breaking stereotypes in South Asian spaces. So if you have suggestions, please write to me, Jessica at invisibleindiapodcast.com. Please don't forget the discounts and deals provided by several of these vendors. I definitely don't want you to miss out. Take advantage of those. Last but not least, I just wanted to thank you for being a faithful listener especially those of you who are Patreon supporters as well. Without you, I really couldn't do this show. I appreciate all of the reviews that you've given, the times that you've shared the show and told other people about it. It's hugely helpful to us. And I'm just so incredibly grateful. Thanks again. Happy holidays to everyone. I am going to be taking a break in January from the show to ideate and work on some new things. I'll see you in February and can't wait to see what's coming up in 2022 together. 